I'm sort of paranoid. There's an army of slugs trying to take over the world, and my brother's one of them. I control it. You ever hear this saying that human beings are reluctant to change? I guess they've never met any of my friends before. If you want to save the world, you have to change. When it comes to the Yerks, all we know is that they're trying to destroy us. Everyone we know and our planet. But we're a threat to them. Five teenagers. I know my friends and I can save Tom. I'm going to use Elfango's gift. The power to morph. I realize what's at stake here. It's the total ruin of our planet by the Yerks. And it's scary. Every time I do something, I get a little stronger and I get smarter. I'm scared too. But fear doesn't stop me. Because I'm more afraid of what will happen if I don't do anything. And when I morphed into the tiger, you know, I wasn't afraid for a second. No jerk was going to stand in my way. Feeling like the tiger has changed me, you know, made me confident and stronger. I'm not as afraid anymore. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of K. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name's Mitchell. What do we have for our dear, dear listeners tonight, Mitch? Oh, we've got such a great show. I hear we're, uh, I hear we're reviewing a book to shake things up. That's what, that's what we do usually when we sit down and record these things. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> um, I want to tell you something real quick. I was at a uh, party the other night. And um, because, you know, we're all kind of nerds and sitting around talking, um, I had to mention that I have a podcast to some of the people there that didn't know. And did they uh, did they react with joy and praise? Well, here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> I think whenever you get a, a, a group of, you know, late 20-somethings together, um, at least one or two of them are, are probably going to have at least heard of the Animorphs book series, you know, just back from elementary school right i would assume it's a hundred percent but sometimes uh, the book is so traumatizing that they have ptsd and forget that's that's over over hopeful i think um <laughs> well in this uh in this particular instance at the party uh two people had heard of the animorphs books and um when they started started trying to describe them to the other people around the party who hadn't heard of the series they were getting so far off, I was almost offended. <laughs> like, what were they saying? Uh, well, the the first thing they said was that, um, oh, yeah, the kids can turn into animals just by, like, looking at them or, or touching them or something. They weren't really clear on that whole thing. And uh, one, of the, one of the people said, well, what do they do with these animal powers? And uh, the other guy goes, oh, they're, they're just, like, local superheroes. They're not, like, saving the world or anything. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you even remember the Yerks? That's the exact opposite of what they're doing. I know. Like, they are literally the only people saving the Earth. Wow. It's like going up to someone and saying, hey, do you remember Batman? Do you remember the comic book character Batman? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's the guy who flies around and hangs out in space, right? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. But uh, I I gave them a link to our website and 
wished that they'd join our <laughs> listeners. And why don't, why don't you go educate yourself? Because right now you're just pissing me off. <laughs> I highly doubt they will listen to 13 episodes to get to this one. <laughs> I mean, I really wish that you would have like started a fight over it, like you would have punched somebody. Because they were no, dude, I gotta see these guys again. They we hang out. <laughs> yeah, but that would have been really funny. If you're if you're if you're fighting someone over their uh, non animorphs knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we should bring on people like that uh, for a new segment. Worst animorph fan of the week. <laughs> that would be cool. Spreads malicious rumors. <laughs> uh, so you had you had something else you wanted to bring up as well uh potentially yeah we've got the we've got the third winner of the you got morphed contest in the back of this book (laughs) (laughs) so yeah somewhere down the line we didn't care about the end of the book and we forgot to look at the winner or we just didn't care enough and i don't don't even know why we bring these up or or there is no winner number one wake up sheeple (laughs) (laughs) that's what the yurks want you to think (laughs) Uh, well, I feel sad because this kid missed out on the Cheetah book. I mean, he's one book off. As an editor, you can't make sure that one gets up in the right book. This kid looks like a fool in the alleg- or the crocodile-themed book uh, <laughs> as a jaguar in the back. Right, as well as uh, also in the back, we've got like nine ads for Andalite Chronicles, which this is the first book to uh, push that one, isn't it? There are 57 ads throughout the book for the Andalite Chronicles. <laughs> there are pop-up ads within the book for the Andalite Chronicles. Yeah, it's uh, it's not even, it's not like a pop-up on the internet. It's literally, there's 3D pop-up cardboard <laughs> sections just promoting the Andalites. It's an Andalite jumping over a log. <laughs> and then and there's a book. comic book sound effect that goes whoosh. Uh, I, I would pay for that, actually. That would be a good book. But, you know, I remember reading this, like, so, so long ago, and seeing that in the back, and just just being confused and excited and probably I don't know, defecating. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, uh, it is weird. I, I can't imagine because I read these so randomly. I wasn't amazed or anything. But um... oh yeah, that's right. You read them all sporadic. No, dude, I I read from book one onward. And seeing that in the back made me go, "Oh my god, it's <laughs> happening!" Well. Yeah, so when I saw the Andalite Chronicles, I was just like, oh, okay, this exists, that's fine. Uh, but I, I can imagine reading this book and then getting it in and being like, you know, it has its normal, don't miss next time on the Animorphs uh, for the change. Yeah. And then there's all these Andalite Chronicles ads. So I don't even know if I would have known what a spinoff series was back then. Yeah, well, this was um, actually kind of my uh, my first, uh, this is where I learned that, you know, book series could even do that. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's the best, sometimes that's the best stuff. Anyway, so we have some trivia for book number 12, The Reaction, and we're hoping in the future for this to be like its own segment. You know, it's like we delve deep into the Seropedia trivia of each book. Uh, for right now, we're just going to throw it into the opening banter. Well, and it, it greatly depends on how much is on the trivia page. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these don't have a lot. But I would hope that in that instance, we could add our own trivia or make it up or something. Um, <laughs> it's, it's possible. I don't know. Maybe we should add a section to Seropedia, the uh, books I want section. And then we could just list all the scenarios in, in each book that uh, would, would make, you know, good books that we'd read. <laughs> we could do that or we could start a competing Seropedia. 
We don't need more Which, work on top of what we're already doing. It would be hilarious because Serapedia is such a, a niche website to have a competing website oh, yeah. for all your <laughs> hey. Animorphs knowledge and trivia. It would be no point. The point would be for us to win and to acknowledge our dominance over the Animorphs fandom. We we can call it Thoughtspedia. Ha! <laughs> uh, sar- info through the Sario Rip or something. Thoughtspedia. Oh, there you go. That's pretty cool. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get to the trivia right now. Um, Read it out. Some of it's lame, lamer, like the uh, the front cover quote: "Trust no one." Four ellipses. I'd hope we would have learned that by now. We don't need the front cover to tell us. I don't know, man. I trust Cyropedia here with this. That's a fool's and you know errand. What? This is a, a good time to bring this up, I guess. Cyropedia lists uh, the inside front cover quote is. Nothing like a crocodile's smile. Where is this quote? Oh, wait a minute. Now I see it. <laughs> oh, yeah, at the very top. I, well, I thought it was like on the picture or something. At least I never even... Also, here's an interesting uh, an interesting look at the inside cover. I know we'll talk about this later, but um, you know what? We'll talk about it right now. The inside cover picture that we always see, where there's a cutout and we see, you know, whatever the morph is in a natural environment from the book. Inside, it has a picture of what I assume is the gardens, but completely and utterly different than how it's described in the book. Oh, yeah, good point. It's like a, it's like a pond outside with a couple of people yeah. looking at a sign. In the book, it's an inside terrarium type thing. Yeah. And it's got a huge, you know, 20-foot wall <laughs> surrounding it. Well, you got to keep in mind, the, the people who made this stuff weren't reading them. <laughs> yeah, their bet's still going on. <laughs> We've already made it to book 12, and we're still going strong. <laughs> Day 12. K. Applegate still doesn't realize. <laughs> um, next piece of trivia here. This one's kind of obvious. At least it was to me. You just told me that you didn't actually know this, which kind of blows my mind. I thought this was so obvious. But the character in uh, the reaction named Jeremy Jason McCall is a parody of uh, 90s TV star Jonathan Taylor Thomas and voice of young Simba. Yeah, I remember him when his star was at its tip. You know, it's it's he was big in the teen magazine circles, but yeah. not being a teenage girl. That's not the first thing that came to my mind when I read that name. I just thought it was a made-up name. Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Uh... <laughs> From Home Improvement's fame. Right, yeah, and they, they do, uh, they call Home Improvement uh, Powerhouse in the, in the book. Oh, wow, this is blowing my mind. I didn't connect that either. I thought really? Powerhouse. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just some made-up TV show. But Powerhouse, Home Improvement, I get it. At one point, Cassie or Rachel even mentions um, uh, through exposition, she says, uh, Jeremy Jason McCall is the star of Powerhouse, unless you're, or unless you forget about the comedian who plays the dad. Oh, uh, wow. This, this makes the book so much better, even. <laughs> I can't, I cannot believe you didn't know this. This is one instance of the trivia part really, really coming through. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm completely down for this being a segment. On Unless the show you're now. lying to me, to make I'm this, really not. I'm, re- I'm to actually make more, dr- more drama. It was all these dots connecting just now. Uh, I see. I I swear I'm not. I'm not doing this for entertainment value. All right, awesome. Well, moving on. Um, I, tell me if you knew this one, the Barry and Cindy Cindy Sue show in the book. 
Do you know what that's supposed to be? Is it supposed to be um, uh, Kathy and what's his face? <laughs> Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Yeah. Well, yeah, I figured that was a generic, you know, multi-host TV show. There's a bunch like right, that. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, next, we've got... Uh... Oh, this one's kind of funny. I don't know if I want to talk about this now or, or during the episode. Mm, no, it's trivia. Let's, let's read it. It's uh, Cassie's mom, whose name is Michelle, by the way. I don't know. Oh, good to know. Good to know. I I don't know if we learned that back in uh, uh, Creepy Book, The Alien. I don't think so, because I've been been trying to figure that out, what her name is. Because as we'll reference later on the show, I was thinking about using her in something, so... That sounds creepy. All right. (laughs) I guess it kind of does out of context. Uh, So so Cassie's mom thinks uh, Cassie's interested in a number of musical groups... And then it, it lists the musical groups, and I didn't. That's why I didn't know if we wanted to do it now or when we were actually talking about it. But uh, the names of these groups are the Fudgies, Snoopy Diggity Dog, Boys Eleven Men, and Nice Is Neat. I don't think those are like the things we just mentioned with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and all that. I don't think they're slightly changing the name. I think that was supposed to be played off as the mother getting the name's wrong because she's a mom and out of touch. Yeah, with yeah. Teens. No, that's definitely what it is. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. And uh, Cassie or Rachel, no, Rachel, uh, even points out, okay, you know, the Fudgies are obviously the Bee Gees, Snoopy, Diggity, is Snoop Dogg, and the Boys Two Men. And she specifically asks about Nice is Neat because she couldn't get that one. And this is where we get... Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> this bit <laughs> yeah. about, yeah, Cassie mentions that uh, she told her mom and N-I-N stood for nice is neat so that she could get the new nine inch nails cd um and then this is kind of interesting however in real life nine inch nails hadn't released an album since 1994 at that point hmm uh, well Catherine, also you done your research you could say it's a continuity error k Applegate forcing the bgs into this conversation that's not exactly a cultural culturally relevant band in the late 90s uh i guess so but it bgs were like at the height of popularity in the 80s um so there's uh there's some tv adaptation stuff too that i thought was kind of interesting that's Um, what i was yeah i want to hear that which basically says uh the reaction was adapted as part of the animorphs tv series um which aired on nickelodeon between fall of 1998 and the spring of 2000 uh the 12th book in the series was covered by the 11th episode the reaction and the TV episodes did not follow the books faithfully, altering many aspects of the characters' roles within the Animorphs, the events in the war against the Yerks, and added plot lines that were not present in the books. I think that little uh, pretext is added to every TV adaptation section. Probably. And then right below it, it lists changes from the book to the episode. And they are, this story was used as an Animorphs episode, given the same title and using the same animal, the crocodile, but the episode had Cassie allergic to the morph rather than Rachel, who was in the books, obviously. Um, and also the allergy simply caused Cassie to morph randomly between human and crocodile rather than the random transformations from one morph to another that's in the book. Nothing too crazy. That kind of makes sense. I don't know. Why would they change it to Cassie, though? It's just, I don't know. They just want to put their mark on I'm sure they had some uh, reason. I mean... Here's what I brought up when we first talked about this a couple days ago. I can see as a television writer them sitting around talking about which plot lines to adapt and all of that. And I think it is kind of interesting juxtaposing Cassie, who is the most 
uh, badass morpher. You know, she really has a hand on how to morph, and everybody looks to her for what to do and to try out new morphs and all that. For her to have a problem with her morphine is interesting right off the bat, just as a concept. So I can see them going with that just for that reason. It's, it, it's kind of a, you know, that's the one thing I can say the show did a little more interesting than the book, is that her having those problems makes the storyline, it gives a little more oomph. I, I guess I could give you that one, but I I mean, it's it's a Rachel story. Why why swap the same story out for Cassie? It's, it's... Sorry they diverted from the perfect, never faulty books. Gosh, you're turning such a fanboy on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and the last bit of trivia that I care to read is uh, the crocodile that was used in the episode was smaller than the one in the book, which made it less dangerous for the casting crew and easier uh, to handle for the trainers, obviously. Um, I, I don't think that's too crazy of a change. Well, yeah, I mean, except for the fact that one of the dangers of uh, her morphing into it in the book is the fact that none of them, even her grizzly morph, can't handle it because it's a 20-foot-long crocodile. It's uh, It's got to be like a... Um, like a, a what's it, the Australian salt salt crocodiles? I can't, I can't remember. I, can't, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, 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 yeah. So I mean, that's the um, that's the danger in the book. It's that such a massive crocodile that none of their morphs would be able to control it. Really, I guess that's true. You know what? I I would think that uh, Cassie should acquire it for her battle morph. It would. Well, I mean, they wouldn't be a very good battle morph because crocodiles being rep, uh, reptilian. Uh, they have barely any energy. I mean, they got to sit in the sun like all day just to be able to walk back and forth for a bit. So I don't think it'd be a very good jump into action battle morph. Well, and I think the point of this book really is that the crocodile has like such strong instincts that, you know, even Rachel couldn't handle it. She couldn't keep it under control, really. Really, that's how they should have done sharks as well. Because you talk about some of the oldest creatures in the world it's sharks and crocodiles yeah, exactly an axe seems to have no problem not munching the others when they're in dolphin morph and he's in his shark morph yeah well anyway but yeah that's interesting trivia there is one more but we're gonna hold off on it since it's uh pretty much the ending of the book so yeah well, i think in the future when we do that segment which i actually really want to do now uh we will keep it after uh after we discuss the book and everything so that might be a whole whole segment unto itself. Ooh, I can't wait. Yeah. So with all that, I think we are ready to get into the book proper. Let's get into it properly. these things then you just attack me right now so some of you are still human this thing doesn't want to show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it and then it's one 
as we discussed, we are reviewing and discussing Book 12, The Reaction Tonight. So without further ado, I will jump into the back cover since we already discussed uh, the inside cover art and all that earlier in the show. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, I did want to point out, though, uh, one thing I forgot to point out earlier okay. was that neither of us were excited for this book, really. L- last week, I uh, remember listening to last week's episode, and at the very end, we were both not too pumped for, for this book. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's reasonable, and... Honestly, I had never read this book, which I found out while reading it. Uh, I'd never read this book, and I think we had seen some people talking bad about it. I'm not sure, but yeah, neither of us, uh, neither of us, looking forward to it. And I think we were less than looking forward to it. I think we really thought it was going to be a bad book. So we we were just hoping it wasn't going to be another, you know, um, the book which will not the be secret. spoken <laughs> of. Yeah, uh, but you'll see. You'll see if we enjoyed it uh, when we get to our review section. So we'll. We'll leave that uh, up to you to figure out. Ooh, spooky! I was just gonna—I was just gonna tell them. But... Yeah, don't tell them. <laughs> For all you know, we hated this book, and that's actually—I oh, hated this one so much. That's if you, if you don't want really to hear possible. me rag on this book for two hours, you better just turn the episode off right now. Can we just for five minutes stop trying to tell people to turn off the episode? <laughs> Can we have them stick around and enjoy our podcast? Uh, That'd be I, great. I guess it depends on how long it takes you to read the back of the book. Well, you keep saying dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here is the summary on the back of the book. Rachel's got some pretty strange stuff happening. She can't control her morphine. One minute she's doing homework. The next, she's morphing a full-grown crocodile. And without returning to human form, she becomes an elephant. That's when the floor gives way and Rachel finds herself looking up at what used to be the kitchen ceiling. What's going on? No one's sure. But Rachel and the other animorphs have to figure it out. Quickly. Because if someone sees Rachel out of control morphing, the other animorphs and Axe are in some serious trouble. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, according to the ellipses. Oh. Um, no, it, it, it's actually only got three Oh my the gosh, <laughs> it does only have three. Well, that makes me even more mad, because they're not even consistent with their format And then right styling. there on the front, trust no one. Oh, four I, of hate, them. I hate the people who design these covers. Scholastic! Uh, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's weird, weird summary. It doesn't go into the overall plot, it just goes into, you know, one concept of the plot, but... Whatever. Yeah, a little bit. I'm surprised it didn't mention anything about the allergy or the allergic reaction, but I guess that's what they kind of want to say. Well, to be fair, the people who, were, you know, wrote that have no idea what's actually going on in the book, so they had to do what they could. <laughs> In um, fact, I think they're just getting. I think they're guessing completely without even knowing a summarization of the book, and they're just like really close to accurate every time. That's that's actually why they design these covers with the generic uh, cloudy backgrounds, because that's what they think the world in this series actually looks like. <laughs> like it they just don't know takes it place in this cloudy, colorful, strange world where kids are turning into animals for no reason. They don't. They don't. They don't actually know what happens on Earth. They haven't <laughs> figured that out yet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this book, I think, is almost a little bit different in that it starts out with a recap, obviously, but it dedicates the entire first chapter solely to recapping, except they give uh, about a paragraph, maybe, of a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come, hmm. which I thought was uh, kind of kind of different. I'm not sure. I haven't really been paying too much attention to the recaps thus far, but 
I think this is one of the first times I've seen it condensed to just one chapter. It's easy to skip. Um, I don't know. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I wonder. I think uh, I think twelve books in, they're still trying to figure out what they're doing at the beginning of these books because it's it's different almost every time. Well, I think we're gonna see less of the uh, recap tying in with the opening scene, like it kind of was for the first seven books or so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like I said, I like this. I like this whole lot because this is one big thing that I could go. Eh, I'll skip it. Maybe I'll read it later. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> I have not skipped those. I just I just get through them and read them and see if there's anything interesting. Right. Well, anyway, uh, immediately after this skippable recap chapter, we have got a scene involving Rachel and Cassie on a field trip to the gardens, which is just the first stop on the comedy Animorph bus tonight. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Cassie is terrified that... Uh, her mom is going to, she's she's supposed to give a speech to their class later on, uh, Endangered Species. And Cassie's horrified of what? I'm not sure. I guess just the idea of your parent talking and throwing in some lame jokes is just the worst thing that could happen to you. Yeah, she's, um, she's afraid she's going to try and, you know, be cool. And the, the example that she gives, in fact, is when her mom thought all these band names were the wrong things. She points that out. Yeah, she was uh, uh, she was buying a CD for Marco. Oh, and I'm um, sorry. I guess the Fudgies is actually the Fugies, not the BGs. I also wanted to point out, this is really funny. This is, like, I think maybe even the funniest joke in this book is the fact that um, when Rachel doesn't know who Nice's Neat is supposed to be and Cassie has to explain this whole story about how she got the idea from Marco to ask her, or her mom for the new Nice's Neat CD, and uh, I, I don't know what's funnier, the fact that Marco is, like, handing out advice to people or the fact that Cassie was dumb enough to actually take Marco's advice. Well, Cassie, I assume, is just, she doesn't lie to her parents very often. And so Marco is the type of person that you would think, like, oh, he knows. He's going to know how to do that and pull it off, you know, because he's that, he's that type of person who would probably try to trick his parents into letting him get a CD or slip into a movie or radar or something. You never oh, yeah. Mar- Marco is probably morphing to get into movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's funnier or made funnier by the fact that Rachel kind of calls her out on it and is like, isn't Nine Inch Nails a little depressing for you? I thought you were not into that kind of music. And she's like, yeah, they're a little depressed and grim and harsh for me. <laughs> yeah, but she was buying the CD for someone else. She was buying it for Marco. She was buying, what? That's why she took Marco's advice because she was buying the CD. She was trying to get buy the CD for Marco because he couldn't buy it. Uh, no, I'm looking at it right now, and it says Cassie looked guilty. N-I-N, you know, Nine Inch Nails. I wanted to get the new CD, but I was broke, so I told my mom N-I-N stood for Nice is Neat. Continue. Keep reading. <laughs> uh, uh, it says, I grabbed, right, uh, I grabbed Cassie's arm and turned her around. No way. You? That sounds like something Marco would have thought of. Cassie quickly looked down at the ground, then started laughing. Okay, it was Marco's idea, he said. What parent can possibly resist a rock group named Nice and Neat? See, Marco wanted me to get the CD so he could make a tape. Boom. Yeah, but she also wanted it. Oh, I guess, whatever. (laughs) You argue strange points. (laughs) Well, no, now it's interesting because it's like, you know, maybe that's not something Cassie would have listened to before, but... With her life experience now, 
maybe her her life's a little darker, a little more depressing. So, you know, she's starting to get into bands like that. I guess, yeah, that could be the case. This is a cold, hard look into Cassie's psyche. She's she's breaking the rules and listening to the Nine Inch Nails. She's crying in her closet, listening to Hurt, <laughs> looking at a picture of Jake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. so of course to continue the theme of something going askew at the beginning of these books um a little just dumb dumb stupid kid like really dumb uh falls into the crocodile pit <laughs> he's climbing on the rails and yeah there's, just, there's always got to be some you know kind of superhero moment yeah his kids to really shine yeah so he falls in and uh they make a point to say how he's in this area that no one else can really see it's like towards the uh wall this giant wall that separates people from uh all the crocodiles and most of the crocodiles are on this island in the middle so of course rachel and cassie are standing there being like what are we gonna do this kid's there we can't do anything now cassie and, runs off straight away to go you know yeah find that's what help I'm saying. I was about to say then, then cassie does go off to try to get her mom or security or something and uh there's this great part right here where rachel is sitting there looking at the kid and she's like i could morph but i shouldn't blah blah, blah. and it's it's uh about a paragraph of rachel basically debating uh whether just to let the kid die which is nice I, I, this is very animorph she understands the implications of revealing herself and what that can mean. It's it's much more dangerous to humanity um, to help this kid than, you know, just to let him die. Right, yeah. I find it funny that Cassie has to actually tell Rachel not to do anything stupid while she's gone. Because she knows she's going to. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's Cassie leaving is less to go get help and more so to give Rachel permission to do something stupid. Ooh. Boom. Never thought Cassie, of it that way. You gotta look at the later of the series. I mean, obviously we're working with knowledge that we shouldn't have at book twelve, but uh, I think Cassie is almost on par with Marco as far as manipulation and uh, and may not strategizing, but making sure things work out the way she wants them to. Oh yeah, each of them, you know, they they treat uh, Rachel like she's the the hound of war that they just kind of unleash. <laughs> it's actually cool because it becomes this whole series. Uh, you could make a strong argument. For Rachel being kind of the main character of this series. And how the whole book series, you could look at it like everyone is trying to control and manipulate Rachel throughout the whole series. And then leading up to her finally, for the last time, taking control herself. Boom. There you go. I want you to rewrite the entire series, every book from Rachel's perspective. No, that might be interesting. A read through of the entire series, only the Rachel books. That might be pretty cool. Well, we're going to do that, along with about, you know, 40 others. <laughs> it's 40, whatever. So, of course, um, Rachel immediately jumps into the cockpit once she's been told not to, to try and save this little kid, whose name is Tyler, by the way. Who cares? <laughs> I'm with you, Tyler. Yeah. <clears throat> and she jumps in, and the croc that no one saw, uh, the biggest one in the container, is right next to the kid who's passed out i believe yeah he passed out when he fell in and so when she falls in this place she thought she had a little bit of safety because all the crocs were in the middle on this island but the largest 20 footer uh was actually right there waiting to eat this kid yeah so, she sees that's why they're uh not all swarming at the kid at once 
Yeah, her only option is to pull a Jake from the invasion and uh, sedate it by acquiring it. Yeah, and we get a uh, pretty awesome, gruesome battle here. And you know what? Any any opening scene that has Rachel fighting a crocodile, I'm I'm all for it. I'm all about that. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time we uh, see someone not losing control of a morph, but never getting hold of a morph. Like she doesn't. She never. You know, it, it's not a matter of oh, I've lost control. Oh, yay, I regained it, and now I've got control over it. She spends the entire time, you know, trapped in the instincts of this morph. Yeah. So croc morph is. Uh... Pretty, pretty powerful, pretty overwhelming. And you know what? We forgot to mention when she acquired it, uh, she felt physically ill. They make a point of yeah. She says she felt nauseous. So yep, first sign of trouble. I mean, other than the kid falling in the cockpit. <laughs> no, that was what everybody wanted. Um, right. And then you know we get the we get the obligatory everyone at Cassie's barn. Jake is just pacing he's kind of irate he's sick of dealing with rachel's crap and i think this is a scene where he's kind of coming into to understanding and to realizing that he's gonna have a hard time controlling rachel and this is not the say, first time where he's you know chewing her out in this book and let me just say this is the second or third time we've made some crack about cassie's barn i love cassie's barn I love that they keep going back to it, and that's like their headquarters. So I'm just putting that out there. I think that's great. I think that's the most iconic thing from the series, Cassie's Barn. Me too. I think they should paint a giant A symbol on the side <laughs> on of the it. Side of it. <laughs> they can only benefit from that. <laughs> they can only, can only... Well, if they found some, uh, um, some way to hide it, like they renamed the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, the Animal Rehabilitation Center, and then drew a giant A on the side of it, <laughs> that could work. Um... And so, anyway, so Jake is, as you said, chewing her out, and she does catch him where she's like, okay, well, what have you? What would you have done? And he's like, oh, I'm not going to get into a debate with you. Yeah. And she's like, what would you have done, Jake? Um, and, and he's like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. But still, it's bad. Lead, lead, do what I say, not what I, not what I do. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a funny quote here um, where they're, they're talking about it, I guess, in, in the barn. And... Uh, Cassie, I'll, I'll just read it to you right here. Cassie raised her hand. Are we done with yelling at Rachel? I have work to do. Jake laughed. I don't yell, he said. I'm not anyone's parent. You tell him, Dad, Marco said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. And I also liked the um, when they're discussing whether Rachel did the right thing. Uh, Cassie says that it was brave what she did. And Axe says something like, bravery is the defining trait of Rachel or something. Yeah. And and Marco's like, thanks, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, there's just, oh, it, the, the dialogue is so excellent. Yeah, I want to talk about that. So we're going to be, you're going to notice throughout this episode, we're going to be reading a lot more uh, than I think we normally would. And that's because one of what I think is the defining trait of this book is not crocodiles or allergic reactions or James McColl or whatever his name is. Uh, Jeremy Jason McCall. JJM. <laughs> uh It's the humor. This is the funniest Animorphs book we've hit so far. It is beat after beat after beat of hilarious, hilarious dialogue. Wow. And... Save your review for the end of the show. No, I'm, that's going to be part of it. But I'm just saying that uh, it's something that, that was surprising and refreshing in this book is that it wasn't worried about being a super serious Animorphs plot. It was teenagers laughing and joking about you know, it's nice to have a mission every once in a while that's not too life-threatening and that we can joke around and 
kid each other. <laughs> right. This whole mission is a walk in the park, even with all of Rachel's problems. This is easy. You can even tell by what they morph later on. They're like, eh, I'm going to see if I can take this thing down with Squirrel Morph. <laughs> yeah, you know, interestingly enough, we do get the uh, the big bad battle kind of in the middle of the book, which is we do. fairly different from all the stuff we've seen so far. But let's not jump ahead. Let's get to where we're at. And uh, no, let's, where we're let's, at. Let's be where we're going. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just think I should point out that it's it's awesome while they're chewing out Rachel how Marco specifically says that she should have definitely let the kid die. Like, he flat out is like, heck yeah, you should have let him die. <laughs> yeah, that would have been the smart thing to do. For what they have at stake, the kid should have been dead. Just saying, I, as, I that's, my, that's my co-host uh, reasoning for this uh, for what should have happened in this book. In fact, that would have been powerful. An entire book of her dealing with letting a kid die. That would have been interesting. Yeah. That I want to read cool. that book. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Just the parts where they're, they're talking about Jeremy Jason McCole and Powerhouse and all this, where they're having this kind of very sporadic back and forth dialogue. And it's all very funny, but uh, Axe's little moments in there, because he doesn't know any of the references they're dropping, are pretty funny. Which leads into the next thing that I wanted to point out, which, again, is just one little thing that I, after reading, I kind of laughed out loud at. Uh, They're talking about Jeremy Jason McCole. And uh, it says, he's in every magazine. I said, teen, YM, 17, wussy weekly, midget monthly, the new dork times, Marco added. He and Jake exchanged a high five. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were uh, very proud of themselves. Enough so that the book referenced them stopping everything and high-fiving each other. Right, yeah. I just love that, that the way she described it. He and Jake exchanged a high five. On that same page, I would also like to read an excerpt. Oh, tons of references here. Go for it. <laughs> so they're trying to explain in this section to Jake and Marco... Uh, the girls are trying to explain why it's important that this TV star uh, has anything to do with the Yerks. If he does, he has a huge influence base. And Jake and Marco are just laughing it off or whatever. But uh, basically, Cassie explains it like this. Um, Jake, you're not getting it. About half the girls in our school have a poster of Jeremy Jason McCall in their bedrooms or in their lockers. Or both. He is the number one cute guy in the country. He has like 20 websites. Ooh, 20 websites. <laughs> he has like 20 websites just about him. If he endorses the sharing, it would be as if... Dot, dot, dot. I looked to Cassie for help. As if the entire female cast of Baywatch endorsed something. Cassie supplied. Yeah, like that. Jake's smile evaporated. You're saying this actor kid has that kind of influence? He has that much power, Marco said? He has Baywatch-level power? Yasmin Bleeth power? Tobias echoed? Bleeth X echoed. Is that a word? If Jeremy Jason McCole becomes a spokesman for the sharing, they'll be signing up girls like crazy, I said. I love that exchange that where, where Axe just comes and he's like, Bleeth? Is that a word? Yeah, and you know, like <laughs> Tobias chirping in randomly, because I mean, he's not really given much to Yeah, he's not days. much of a joke. <laughs> well, he's not much of a jokester in general. Um, well, he, he has his kind of sillier moments. Yeah. I just, that dialogue was so rapid fire back and forth. Um, Axe chiming in. I, that's, that is a, that is unique dialogue to the series so far, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This, this rapid fire kind of, I like it. <laughs> West Wing style, Animorphs dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Totally. 
Um, so yeah, obviously the the mission here kind of turns to investigating this this TV star that uh, both Cassie and Rachel are really having girl crushes over. Yeah, they're they're in deep. Yeah, and I I guess I kind of remember that whole girl crazy or boy crazy phase that uh, girls go through having a younger sister. Oh yeah, you know. I think I can speak for all, even us guys. We had our Jonathan Taylor Thomas stage, did didn't we? <laughs> what Mitch? do you mean? Like you like him? I... <laughs> you know, I had a poster. Did you have his poster <laughs> in my locker and in my bedroom and in no. your bedroom, or both? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm or sure you are. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next scene, we go to uh, Rachel at her house, and she's actually watching the show Powerhouse with her her. Not youngest sister, her... her Jordan. Second, yeah, Jordan. Second youngest sister. Jordan. Um, Jordan. And I, I thought it was funny here, this little uh, exchange of dialogue between them where she asks her sister, do you think, you know, JJM is cute? And she's like, yeah, of course he is. And she's like, do you think Marco's cute? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Where's the book where Marco starts dating her uh, her little sister? Later on in the series, because uh, Jordan's only like, like a year 55. or two younger. <laughs> that that would have been funny. It's possible. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, she gets her sister all excited by telling her there's a possible club that you could belong to that would would get you a chance to meet him and sees the effects that it'll have, ravishing the minds of young girls. Yeah, her sister is like, you know, whatever club he's in, if it has, if it gives me the chance to possibly meet him, I want to be a part of that club. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, so that's not good. Um, she sends her sister out of her room. She she banishes her to the shadow realm temporarily, <laughs> and then she and then she gets on her her computer and does like some online snooping. And still, I just find any uh any references to like '90s computers and the internet in the '90s is is all very funny. It just never it, seems it really like is. it's written how it would really happen. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, where's where's the line where she's like, you know, I clicked on Frontier Internet and waited the 20 minutes for the dial-up to connect. But my sister was on the phone, so I had to wait. Yeah, I started researching <laughs> and then I got kicked because my sister was on the phone. Yeah. I feel, I feel glad that we grew up in that time. We know how the internet started and how annoying it was and how you could do nothing. Sometimes I just uh, YouTube the uh the sound of a dial-up modem because yep. it's almost somewhat comforting to me <laughs> it i go to sleep to it at night <laughs> <laughs> i would um so here's where we get the main plot of this book i, I would call it the main plot of this book well um, it's it's the central um central plot yeah personally i don't care much for jeremy jason nicole so this is my central plot <laughs> um so rachel's just hanging out in a room not doing much and she starts morphing, and she's oh, like, wait. "What?" Um, I going into this. Uh, Rachel does her little online investigating, and one of the important things that she discovers is that uh, Jeremy Jason McCollman is doing the <laughs> Barry and Cindy Sue show in their town, conveniently. Yeah, well, I don't she, think she that's gets that so crazy. excited. She has like a little meltdown. She freaks out. She calls Cassie, and and this is when. Yeah, I guess that's wrong. important. That's true. So, so yeah, she's super excited. Um, she's her emotions are running high, and she starts morphing uncontrollably. 
and specifically morphine she goes straight to crocodile and she has no control over whatsoever she doesn't mean to she even tries to stop it nothing's working and before she can even calm down to possibly correct the situation or find a solution she morphs straight from crocodile to elephant in her upstairs bedroom now this is interesting not just because we've never seen it happen before but i think this makes a strong argument that if a disease or something being wrong with you can cause you to morph from one morph to another then i think with enough control and practice if you like mastered morphine i think you could morph straight from animal to animal (laughs) really yeah because it's obviously the biggest thing that we've thought so far in the series is that it's scientifically impossible that's not how morphine works but if it's possible to do it by accident then it's possible to do it on purpose well i suppose but do you think the two-hour time limit would restart or do you think it would be cumulative i think that is uh something that could possibly control be controlled as well i think because because the way we've heard the two-hour time limit control uh spoken about in the past is that it makes it harder to morph back it doesn't it's not like a Oh yeah, the that's minute true. you go that's over, true. we have had several yeah. instances where they have you know a hard time morphing back, but they do make it. Here's my pitch for a sequel series of Animorphs, real quick. Uh, as far as you gotta, if you did a sequel series of Animorphs, you gotta change something. You can't just have it the way. I think with enough mastery of morphine, you could kill the two-hour time limit, and you could morph from creature to creature. But it would be incredibly hard. And there would be some downsides to it, so right. That's... Well, that that would have to be Animorphs, two Animorphs New Game Plus. Oh yeah, we're we're building our we're slowly building our pitch to Scholastic for us to write. I just I, I second hope they, series of Animorphs. You know, someone there listens to this and and takes at least one of our ideas because I don't want them to take our ideas. I want to I want to write it ourselves. <laughs> I just want my tome. I want my Animorphs tome. <laughs> uh this is yeah you mentioned she she goes elephant and obviously uh that's not gonna really fly in her home and uh falls through the ceiling just like the back of the book described it mm-hmm. and somehow managing to kill and injure no one <laughs> yeah it was really lucky and it was kind of dark as well because she thought for a few minutes was my sister in the kitchen yeah i like how they at least you know they go there with her questioning it and thinking it, it could have possibly happened yeah, definitely. So kudos, kudos to that. Kudos yeah. to them for that. So everyone comes home. Um, she's you know she gets still shaken up. Yeah, she she gets out of morph. Obviously, she morphs back after she falls to the floor, and she's taken to the hospital to make sure nothing's wrong with her. She makes up some story about how it just gave way and she didn't know what was going on and blah blah blah. Um, and her <laughs> I think her dad even mentions once he shows up there that, um. You know, they might have a great lawsuit on their hands. No, the mom mentions that. The mom mentions, because she's a lawyer, that they might have a great lawsuit on their hands because of that. Right. Uh, I want to read some of this uh, dialogue here because this is really funny. The scene where they're all sitting around in the hospital, Rachel and Cassie and her mom and dad. Um, And this is when the reporters are all coming in and, like, questioning her because, you know, she was obviously somewhat famous for for having the the whole crocodile incident happen and now suddenly she's in the spotlight again for having her house fall in on her and uh all these media people are trying to interview her and and she's just not you know 
She's Rachel. She's not feeling good right now. And it goes, How did it feel to fall into a crocodile pit, then have your house fall down on you? Not very good, I answered. Don't you think you're incredibly lucky? Um, no. If I were lucky, I wouldn't keep falling, right? But you weren't hurt either time. I think winning the lottery would be lucky. Having the house fall on me, that's not at all lucky. Yeah, that's something she reiterates throughout the rest of the book, is that everybody keeps telling her she's lucky for getting out of these situations, but she feels she's unlucky for getting into them. Right, yeah. It's kind of a running joke that goes on through the rest of the book. And I just imagine, you know, if this were done in a TV show or a cartoon, um, some of these lighter moments would just be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, and if you remember from past books, her dad is a uh, fairly prominent news anchor now yep. on the East Coast. So when he shows up at the hospital, he tells her that, you know, um, hey, I've got this hotel room nearby. If you want to stay there for a couple of days while your mom and sisters stay somewhere else, um, yeah, to, that would be great. Yeah, to try and, like, lay low from, you know, because they're, they're <laughs> the media is going to want more of you. Yeah, and through his connections, he Good also... Star, yeah, and through his connections, he also suggests, hey, uh, if you want to tell people your story or get out the open, um, you know, maybe there's some other way we can do that. And she's like, hey, do you think you could get me on the Barry and Cindy Sue show because of a boy who's going to be on there? Yeah, I like the fact that she actually explained it to her parents. Like, oh, I just want to be on the show because, you know, JJM's on there. Yeah, very realistic as far as a kid. Just being like, hey, there's this boy, and he's famous. I want to meet him. <laughs> uh, so already I'm kind of on board with this plot. I mean, it's it's a little silly, but I'm hooked. The plot itself, I'm like, eh, that's pretty, yeah, whatever. Um, but the, the dialogue and the humor uh, are what's getting me from page to page. Exactamundo, my friend. Next, we've got a scene with uh, Cassie joining Rachel later on at this uh, fancy hotel that her dad's hooking her up with. And um, this is when we have Cassie kind of corner her and, and ask, you know, all right, what the heck happened? Um, where Rachel says that she morphed because of a dream. Um, she doesn't really want to tell her what, exactly what's happening. She's kind of confused at this point, too. She doesn't really understand what, what's happening. and. She uh, wasn't aware that she went directly from crocodile to elephant. Um, but Cassie's not buying her her story. Yeah. But um, she does manage to talk her into taking her to, to see Axe and ask him about it. But definitely not Jake. She She's adamant about not letting Jake know at this point. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. She wants to, she wants to keep that from him. For the same reason, I guess he kept his crazy you know, time flashes in the last book. It's just random pride mixed with yeah, terrifying. Yeah, at this point, you know, the kids, I think, still think, like, I can handle this on my own. I don't want to be a burden to the team. That, that kind of thing. I don't need Jake. And then Jake's thinking, I don't need anybody else. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, oh, and then we get, you know, in a in a taking it back to the mission sort of uh, moment, Cassie tells uh, Rachel their mission is going to be to pay a visit to JJM, who is supposedly already in their town and somewhere out on a yacht, which really gets them excited. <laughs> oh yeah, because they might get to meet him, and at this point they are on board with the idea completely. At least the ladies of the group, and probably Tobias. Yeah. Um, 
we'll have to wait for the mission though because there is another scene that involves uh Rachel and school getting called into vice principal Chapman's office um it's been a while since we've seen him hasn't it or wait no he, he was in the forgotten he was in the forgotten. yeah he was uh, he was in the grocery store in the forgotten you're right it yep. seems like a long time ago because we read the forgotten like a month ago <laughs> <laughs> i'd forgotten <laughs> well this is my reaction to that um, <laughs> well anyway uh, yeah. yeah uh chapman calls her in there you know what with all the the stress and her home life and stuff uh tries to convince her in this moment of weakness he perceives uh to join in the sharing which of course gets her all antsy pantsy and she starts to have her nervous uncontrollable morphing yeah and before that she actually references um the android and saying uh you know chapman's going through this list of activities that the uh the sharing does and has participated in he talks about this lake water skiing trip that they went on and, oh yeah that, uh, that's right yeah, yeah and, and rachel nice thinks to herself reference. and rachel thinks to herself yeah we were there buddy yeah <laughs> yeah you're right that that was funny um other than that this was a scene that i could really have done without um no i like i mean okay it's it's a little silly that she then starts morphing. That's the obvious. It's like a it's like a woman going into pregnant at the worst possible time in like a movie or something. Um, I but, know, but you you just you know where it's going and, and that obviously Chapman's not gonna find her out and she gets out of there just fine. Um, that's that's the only reason why I could have done without the scene. I enjoyed reading it the first time through though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I guess. So moving on though. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Rachel goes Siegel and kind of meets up with Tobias and she's still in a bad mood. So she's kind of mean to him. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was a distinguishing factor of this book is while Cassie and Rachel both have this whole crush going on, uh, Cassie, you could feel is still kind of, you know, she's still Jake's girl, you know, she's still there. She's just, you know, has this funny little crush. Whereas Rachel completely ignores and doesn't really talk about Tobias or talk to Tobias in this book compared to how she talked about him in the last ones. Um, I, well, I would argue with that uh, just because towards the beginning, it was Tobias who gave Rachel the idea to question Jake as to what he would have done in the crocodile situation. Um, so, you know, they have little moments like that where he privately thought speaks to her to, like either encourage her or give her some sort of advice or yeah know. but she doesn't react to it like she did in the uh in the other books in the other ones she always like kind of smiled at him or you would get that inner dialogue of oh her and being we like, had we had uh in the scene in her uh bedroom there when she was she mentions Googling. leaving the window open yeah, yeah she I mentions know. leaving the window open but still i don't think she is still talking about tobias or mentioning him like she had in the past whereas cassie has this little schoolgirl crush i think rachel thinks I've got a chance with this guy. I'm good looking, more so than normal, and uh, this guy's awesome. I'm gonna meet him. I'm gonna coordinate this whole thing. I think she actually has a little more than a crush. I think she wants, and I think I think this is a important factor. This book, at least in my in my head canon, um, I like the idea that Rachel's giving up on Tobias. It's getting to the point where it, it doesn't seem like it's gonna work out. Well, yeah, obviously. Oh, that's a good, that is a good point. Yeah. Um, given what's coming up. Yep. Uh, and then we've we've got, um, I thought this was kind of weird. Everybody except for Axe has a seagull morph. So they're all hanging out in seagull morph, but Axe is like still hanging out in, uh, what's he got, Harrier? Yeah. Yeah. Um, why? I can figure out why. Why Why not just 
Give him a seagull. Morph because <laughs> because they got their seagull morph from a seagull who was in Cassie's barn, and that was a while ago. I assume those seagulls have been let go, and it would be really hard for an animorph to go down to the boardwalk and try to catch a seagull. Not an animorph. I'm sorry. It would be it would be difficult for a andalite, which he'd have to be in his true form to acquire anything. I think it'd be difficult for him to go down as andalite to the boardwalk and try to catch a seagull. That, yeah, that might be a point. Maybe you know Cassie's rehabilitation clinic hasn't gotten any seagulls in lately, but I think they could they could figure something out. Somebody could go down there. It's not that big of a deal. Snatch one in a morph or something. And... It doesn't really affect the plot that he's. No, it doesn't affect the plot. I just I thought it was odd. Sure. I guess I guess we should appreciate little things like that though, because it means that they actually care and there is some sort of thought going into it. Like, well, obviously they hadn't captured a seagull for him to acquire yet. The fact that I think the best thing they went for the series is that they were written so hastily after each other. Like they were written month to month to month to month. So we have this great continuity. Maybe they maybe they weren't even really like really trying to keep continuity. They were just so fresh from writing the last few books that they could reference book ten and book twelve so offhandedly, uh, or or keep up with who has what morph because they're just barreling through these things. It gives an urgency and a a great continuity to the series. Huh. That is true. Boosh. Uh yeah. So everybody's in seagull morph. They're going in to investigate this yacht, and we've got uh really more good dialogue. Especially between Great Marco and Jake, where they're dialogue. making fun of Brad Pitt here. <laughs> I would like a reading. Read to me, sir. One second, page 79. Okay, so they're heading towards the yacht. They're uh, talking about this mission and um, and specifically talking about uh, Jeremy, Jason, McCall, Nicole. And how much they don't care for him, as far as Marco and Jake are concerned. And uh, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and read from the book and see what you think. So, I'll start a little early. I see the book clearly now. Axe announced he didn't complain, but he sounded tired. I can I can read the name Daybreeze very clearly. There are now four humans on the deck: two older males, one female of medium age, one juvenile male. Is it Jeremy Jason? Cassie asked excitedly. Has to be, I said. Does he have brownish blonde hair and really big blue eyes? And full lips, I added, like Brad Pitt lips. Gag, barf, Marco, of course. The hair and eyes are correct, Axe said. I can't evaluate the lips, though. How large would lips have to be in order to be Brad Pitt lips? <laughs> in that in that Montana movie, Brad Pitt's lips filled the entire screen, Marco said. In fact, I heard some people were crushed to death by Brad Pitt's lips. <laughs> Bet they're fake, Jake, Jake muttered. You know how they inject, like, butt fat into lips to make them more puffy? It's so sad to hear so much jealousy. Don't you agree, Cassie? It is sad, Rachel. Terribly sad. This is the worst mission we've ever been on, Marco said. I mean, I've been scared before. Hey, I've been horrified, screaming, wanting to wet myself terrified before. I'm used to that. But this is the first time I've wanted to just throw up. Rachel, I didn't think you were even capable of normal human affection, let alone pathetic hero worship. <laughs> Say it, brother, Jake agreed. <laughs> I think just... he was kidding, but I couldn't be sure. <laughs> it was yeah. just so funny. Oh, and then immediately after that, and Cassie, Marco went on, I thought you only cared about animals. Animals like skunks and snakes. And Jake, hee hee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was that. great. I love that uh, they just flat out make fun of Jake and Cassie. And yeah, and there's a, yes, Prince Jake. Don't call me Prince. Yes, Prince Jake. <laughs> on the same page. Good it's stuff. just two pages of gold. 
It easily. really is. Uh, we should do we should do more dramatic readings on this show. That needs to be a that needs to be a thing. And now a very dramatic. Yeah. Well, okay, we can give it a try. Uh, let's see. We've got Rachel and Cassie going in, obviously, for a, a closer look at their boy crush. And this is where uh, another scene that I thought was kind of weird, um, where they're they're hearing and kind of seeing uh, Jeremy Jason McCollman talking to his manager, <laughs> and uh, it's it's like a candid you know conversation that's kind of cut out a little bit, and um, we see that uh, he's kind of a little a little brat, really. He's very Justin Bieber like. Yeah, which I thought was a was a weird choice. I mean, why not try well, to make it a, a more sympathetic character? Well, no, here's a question. Well, A, because I think I think they were actually trying to put out the message that um, celebrity worship is not a good thing for teenage girls. I think that was a reason for this book. And secondly, um, you know, that all that craze with Jonathan Taylor Thompson or whatever. Thomas. Uh, Thomas, whatever. JTT. Maybe that was also a thing with him. Maybe there was a lot of rumors that off the set he was just a douche to everybody. I refuse to believe that young Simba could be anything <laughs> other than adorable and cuddly, and I want him in my lap. What are you talking about? In The Lion King, he was a douche for yeah, the first know, quarter right. of that movie. They wouldn't make it that obvious. He's really a <laughs> a-hole. Someone needs to go up to him and just start singing the Hakuna Matata. You know, teach him what's right. Uh, so he's, he's kind of being persuaded by his manager to, uh, take this sharing job because, uh, he, you know, is playing devil's advocate here and promising it's going to lead to bigger roles and, uh, all the things that young actors fantasize about. And this is the basis for every voluntary morph. Uh, they, they tell them just enough to pretty much have them understand what they're getting into and by accepting the yerk voluntarily at all, even if you don't really know what it is or what it's going to mean, how much control you're going to lose, that psychologically makes them a better host. They are much easier to beat down after that. I guess. It's kind of like uh, joining a cult, really. <laughs> it is, yeah. A cult and where they literally take over your bodies. And I think, I think I can explain that psychologically. I think it's a matter of, it's like when you go out and you buy, um, let's say you buy a 52 inch tv and it's a piece of crap tv it's like a plasma burn-in screen terrible tv um and then someone tries to tell you that hey these these uh, lcd screens over here are way way better they're they're so much better tvs you wasted your money blah, blah blah you're gonna sit there and defend it because you made your choice you've already made the bad decision and you're gonna be like no no you don't understand plasma tvs they're blacks are better and they have better contrast and blah blah, blah. you're already on board with the idea so with a yerk even though you Probably have figured out that it's a horrible situation to believe in <laughs> Look, because you I made know the I've choice. Lost control of all my limbs, but I promise this is what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you you made the choice, so you're more on board with it, and the Yurk can uh, take advantage of that. Oh yeah, that's that's what I was uh, kind of wondering as I was reading this series. Was you know, I wonder if the the volunteer hosts are more casual and friendly with their Yurk controllers if they kind of like crack jokes and hang out like buds. Like I'm imagining, they could do a they could do a uh, a, a movie from the perspective of a of a yerk, a human controller, and they could cast uh, 
cast James Franco with Seth Rogen as the voice of the Yurk in his head, and it would be awesome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Look who's talking for. <laughs> you have you have a you have a, a a guy fresh out of police academy. Uh, you know, just just knew it's like a buddy cop movie with a Yurk and James Franco as the as the host. That would be amazing. I think it could sell. <laughs> I think we've got a movie on our hands. Anyway, back to the plot of the book that we we're talking about. Yeah, there there was plot happening. Um, this is when they they kind of realized that this manager dude he looks like a bad guy, and of course we all know that means that it's actually Visitor Three. Because Visitor Three is the biggest micromanager in the entire world. I know, right? Man, the dedication this guy has to the job. He is down there. It's like if the CEO of Walmart got, you know, into a store and, like, greeted people. No, it'd be like if he was in the customer service uh, desk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so they realize that, that it's Visitor 3, and they decide that they, it's probably time to get out of there. And uh, Rachel's really pissed off at the moment, just finding out that, you know, her her big pop idol... Um, is is some little brat who's you know worst of all going to join her arch nemesis's team, <laughs> so she's not happy, very stressed out. Yeah, both her and Cassie are pretty bummed that their idol is a douche. Skadoosh. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Do not so, know what happened. Yeah, yeah. So again, just like the Chapman scene, Rachel's all angry. She's emotions running crazy. Who knows she's, what's she's going on? She's hulking out. She starts morphing, and she's morphing to something that can't fly, which is a bad thing because she's in the air. Yeah, and you know what? This this would be another awesome scene. I think in animation, a a seagull flying uh. away that starts to sprout an elephant trunk. Yeah, that's that's what happens. Just her falling to the ocean would be great. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and growing large enough to fall into the ocean where she starts sinking and everyone's like, what the what? what yeah, what to, to the rest of the Animorphs, to the majority of the Animorphs, uh, they just saw someone going morph to morph, which to them is impossible, even Axe. Yeah, every, everyone's super confused and obviously they're like, well, crap, now we gotta <laughs> kick into uh, rescue operations mode here. And figure out some water morphs, which of course means they're gonna have to land somewhere on the yacht and demorph and hop back into the water. Um, and there's there's you know some tension there with everyone trying to morph their their aquatic morphs and find her. And she ends up uh, remorphing into an ant before she drowns. Um, I guess which I puts know, her ants couldn't drown, but well they probably could, but I think um, I think she got caught in an air bubble. And the the ant is too light to pop it to get out of it. Yeah, so it just you know she she's momentarily saved until she goes back to crocodile because they are noticing from uh, these scouts still in the air the other animorphs. Uh, Visitor three has gone back to his andalite form and he's quickly going into something new. Right. Yeah. We've got you know Jake's yelling at Rachel because. <laughs> he can't believe like, once again she's lied and withheld information that happens to jake a lot actually it's amazing he still can't believe it <laughs> i know and then uh, worst of all we've got visitor three falling into the water and i like how marco at this point really hasn't kind of joined the action he's still in seagull morph he's still kind of playing surveillance coward <laughs> 
Well, he gets in there eventually. I think he does. Yeah, he does. All right, yeah. You know, Marcos, he's good people. <laughs> but we've got we've got Rachel going to to Croc for this battle. Uh, Visitor Three shows up, and he's what is called a Lepton Javelin fish. Yeah, it's uh, basically like a javelin throwing biological creature. It I, the way they describe it, I think it looks kind of like a stingray. I think they even say like a big manta ray. Yeah, with really long kind of wings. Yes, man, this the the actual video game that they could make out of this. Oh man, would be fun if they, they did could it right. even they could even get Jonathan Taylor Thomas Thomas to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to voice this Jeremy Jason Nicole. Nicole character. Yeah, exactly. So we've got you know another. This is this is kind of like. This is weird. Uh, I, I mentioned this to you uh, about how the big bad battle takes place in the middle of this book. It really does. As far as um, barely escaping with their lives and fighting Visitor 3, this is normally something that would be towards the last slash chapter. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is weird and kind of cool to get into it this early because it makes you wonder what's going to happen soon. I'm kind of wondering why... Visitor 3 insists on being so stupid and trying out all these new morphs on the Andalite Bandits, which he routinely does, when he knows he's got a water morph that has already owned them in the water. Remember? No, he hasn't. He lost. Book 4. As far as he can see, he went to that morph and he was unsuccessful. I guess. Maybe it's that mentality where, you know, if it fails him once, it's like dead to him. <laughs> Dude, for all he knows, the whales that beat him into submission in uh, the message... Were other Andalites. Oh, no, were other yeah, Andalites. Oh, yeah. I guess I get your point. So they could just go to Whale Morph and beat the crap out of him again. So Well, a lot of good it does for him because Rachel still manages to uh, outmaneuver his morph with her crocodile and uh, just one bite <laughs> kind of like deflates him and sends him flying like, Team Rocket blasting off again. <laughs> ah, Looks like Visitor 3 is blasting off again. <laughs> he goes into space and lands on the blade ship. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's how this this uh, actiony sort of scene. It's over pretty out. quick. Yeah, and then we get uh, finally Axe giving the exposition to the team about this process called Hereth Illent. Uh, Illent. Hereth Illent. That's mm-hmm. like a weird one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, it's it's basically just an allergic reaction to the crocodile's DNA. You wanna. Take it a little further. Yeah, and uh, this is something that I didn't think was going to happen in this book, uh, which is go more into the science of morphine. But we've already had a couple of things in this book kind of touch on that, and this is the big one. This is the one I've been wondering for 12 books now, even though I've read a lot of these before. <laughs> um, he goes into talking about how certain morphs you have, an, as Mitch said, uh, an allergic reaction to. And... In this instance, you can't control these morphs. You can't do anything with them. They just, they cause violent spasms of morphine, as we've seen so far in the book. The only way to stop it, it's actually something you can do, but it's incredibly difficult because you've got to take excess material from Z-Space and form a complete morph outside of your body. And then that will force the DNA outside of yourself. And it's somewhat involuntary. You're, it's kind of like throwing up after being poisoned. Yeah, in fact, um, they call it burping the morph. Yeah. Here's what I find interesting. 
this has finally gone into how they morph larger creatures than themselves. Apparently, there is mass in all of Z-Space that you can pull from, kind of like pulling energy from the plants and animals of the Earth to create a spirit bomb. Oh, jeez. No, I think, I think it means, like, you are literally pulling, like, the carbon and the iron that your, you know, extra mass needs. Like, to create it, a spirit it's bomb. It's really building things out of, out of everything that's out there in space. Z-Space. No, it's specifically, it's pulling from yeah, Z-Space. Yeah, but I mean, Morphine you is would think that stuff like that is also floating in Z-Space. Yeah, there's something. So, or, or, <laughs> check out this theory. So, the beginning Andalites, they're creating this technology. Failing miserably, Andalites are dying while they try to perfect this technology. And a lot of them get trapped in more. And for every Nothlet, that creates excess mass floating around in Z-Space. And so when they morph a larger creature, they're pulling from Nothlets and using their mass to create more mass to do larger morphs. So they're pulling bits of Tobias's old body out of Z-Space and morphing elephants. Boom. Wow, you should write your dissertation on it, Stephen. I would love to get a doctorate in morphing. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Well, because of her her uncontrollable morphing, because she can't relax... Jake boots her from the mission, which uh, I find funny that immediately the next, the very next thing Rachel does is screw things up by going ahead and lying and saying that she burped the crock overnight. Hey, Jake, uh, I know I just got in trouble for lying to you, but like I totally did that thing that's going to fix everything, so I'm good to go. <laughs> right? If you want to let me on the mission. <clears throat> and she, she, Reveals through uh, uh, exposition here another little bit of foreshadowing that um, I didn't think was absolutely necessary. I thought it would have come as a bigger shock um, if if you just saw it happen later mm-hmm. on in the book. She brings up an, uh, a question that, you know, Cassie and Jake didn't think to ask her, but Axe would have. Which and is what, what was that do question? with the extra crocodile. Yeah, exactly. Uh, once we do this, what's going to happen with me in a room with a 20-foot croc? Yeah, they probably... Axe really should have prepared them for that a little bit better, you know? Yeah, couldn't she have been allergic to, like, you know, the... Yeah, the cockroach more? For, no, that would have been terrible. Oh, my God, could you imagine a cockroach, like, forming off of your arm? No, <laughs> that would have been horrible because that's, like, their most used morph. No, I know, yeah, it's super important. Yeah. No, but, you know, the mole rat or whatever, uh, the shrew, that would have been a good one, you know? Oh, I'm alone in with a shrew. It might bite me and I get my rabies or something, but better than a croc. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, So so by lying to Jake, she, you know, of course, is back on the mission, and she's trying to remain calm before going on the show. And she's riding there, I think, with her parents. And they're asking her all the worst questions like, oh, it's, you know, millions of people are going to be watching. Aren't you nervous? And <laughs> she, uh, she's just trying to remain zen-like. Yeah, um, she's trying to purge all emotion since they've finally nailed down strong emotions equals uncontrolled morphing. Right. And uh, arriving at the studio where they shoot the show, they learn um, about a, a, another guest on the show, Bart Jacobs, who is an animal trainer, and he's got all these animals running around. 
Um, I didn't know if he was supposed to be like a parody of Steve, Steve Irwin. Irwin or something. Yeah, he used but... to go on tons of talk shows and bring animals. Yeah, like, tons. and I, I think that's fine when Steve Irwin does not I, I think like someone like Steve Irwin actually has a passion for, for caring about the animals. Whereas this Bart Jacobs character is the complete opposite. He's just kind of a jerk, and you can tell he's only in the story to be that kind of just an extra, not villain, but an extra baddish guy. Yeah, and they have, um, in real life, they've had tons of other people do that, you know, coming from other animal positions to try to do what Steve Irwin did. So could be a parody of one of them. I refuse to believe that Kay Applegate could hate Steve Irwin. No one to turn him into a bad character. Yeah. So, or me, it was just convenient to the plot, and we weren't supposed to associate with anyone. Exactly, and that's why I think it was left out of the Seropedia trivia. (laughs) Or the Seropedia is incomplete without our knowledge. We've we've got a hairdresser lady who's kind of rude with Rachel, and she's, you know, yanking at her hair and really pissing her off, and Rachel starts to lose control, and her hair turns a little wolfy, and Cassie notices it. That's why this is relevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as as soon as Cassie notices, like, Rachel's starting to wolf out, um, we've got Jeremy Jason McCollman walking in again. And he's, <laughs> he starts talking to him, and this is, like, obviously not good for Rachel. Um, I think you had a thing that you wanted to read about her. Um, I do. This is great. So here's another <laughs> exciting reading from Tales of the Animorphs. And that's when I suffered my second emotional jolt. Because that's when the cutest boy on the planet walked into the makeup room. This is really weird, me reading this, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) Jeremy Jason, I heard Cassie whisper in an awestruck tone. No emotion. No emotion, I told myself. But you have no idea just how massively cute he was up close like that. And then he smiled at Cassie and gave her a little half hug, like he'd probably done with a million fans before. I saw Cassie's knees buckle. She actually wobbled. Hi, I'm Jeremy Jason McColl, he said to me. Are you on the show too? Yes, I said, trying to sound like a robot. Yes, I am on the show too. I didn't get up from the makeup chair, and I didn't shake his hand, because I have to tell you the truth. Even knowing what he what he was now, even knowing what kind of person he was, even knowing that inside his head there lived an evil gray yurk slug, if he'd hugged me like he had Cassie, I would have morphed. I would have morphed big time (laughs) (laughs) so i'm not going to go into what that's alluding to but i thought that was hilarious that is definitely read mail uh written from the perspective of that that fits into her uh emotional reacting i guess i just thought that was a great uh couple lines of i would have worked i would have worked big time obviously that's a um euphemism for what that actually means so <laughs> yeah it, it was it was humorous well written Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> which makes me wonder uh during the late 90s was Catherine applegate like putting up posters of jonathan taylor thomas <laughs> no dude she, she wrote all sorts of her her other long-running uh book series what was it called making out or something was uh all about teen relationships and stuff that's true but this, you know, this is like her luckily, warming up to it. <laughs> yeah, luckily though, Animorphs, uh, it balances that. It doesn't ever get too teen crushy. And this, yeah, I mean, yeah, this kind of this you have this big teen crush stuff, but it's you know integral to the plot. They gave us crushes that we could actually like root for though and laugh at. Yeah, 
It, it was all good stuff. Um, and then we've got Jeremy Jason McCormick being a, an asshat again and kicking them out of the room and just, you know, being a little brat. And this is one of the greatest scenes in the book, again, where they're standing out in the hallway and uh, a llama pulls up next to him. And, of course, who, who is it? It's Marco. It's Marco. <laughs> hey, guys. Marco, are you a llama? <laughs> oh, I got a kick out of this. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Marco and llama morph. He just. This is what I. This is what I'm saying. Like I think they're all like, oh, this isn't that serious of a mission. We're not really. We don't really have our lives in peril. So. Well, no. Everyone else is in bug. Everyone else is in bug morph. I know, but just the Marco's fact that the only Marco is like, you know, I'm gonna be that cute looking animal <laughs> over there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Which which brings up this awesome line of dialogue where uh, where. He's done talking to him, and he's being led away to to go out and you know be on the show. He goes, "See you guys later." Marco called back, "Break a leg, not literally. That's just what we showbiz people say to mean good luck." I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to be on TV. <laughs> uh, as he's walking away, as a llama. <laughs> uh, it spelled weird, so I imagined it in like llama speak. By the way, now uh, my my bio picture on our website in the uh, meet the host body section has me standing next to a llama totally imagining that's me and marco having a little chat it's what i've assumed <laughs> since the beginning uh so that's all good stuff my meet the host Bodies picture is in a diner which obviously is the diner that the animorphs planned that one mission in oh more importantly though is the fact that uh here we have cassie ratting rachel out to marco which I thought was great, you know, someone finally takes some responsibility here. Yeah. It, it makes sense that it's Cassie. <laughs> yeah, she she rats him out and that changes everything. It gets a little more serious and Marco gets pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't like that. And uh Cassie he he, he she Cassie he <laughs> So Cassie uh offers a plan that somebody should morph Rachel to kind of cover for her instead. And take her place on the show. And it's hilarious because Marco, typical teenage boy, like any teenage boy would be in that situation, volunteers instantly. Like, Morph Rachel? Heck yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, which that's straight out of a, I don't know, teen movie. Like a 90s Friday. body swap movie. <laughs> yeah, and you know Marco's just doing it because he's a pervert. <laughs> Basically... But yeah. uh, I don't know. I want that book. <laughs> Marco's hilarious antics of running around as a girl. Um, uh, specifically Rachel. That would be hilarious. Well, oh, yeah. a whole, I can picture an entire scene of him trying to act tough because he thinks that's what Rachel would do in like some situation. <laughs> I can picture a whole scene of them like meeting in the mall and he's like trying to fight the instincts for shopping and like <laughs> keep seeing deals where he's like, must not get distracted. <laughs> yeah i don't think that's how instincts work but sure i don't think that's um, how any fan fix of this uh particular scenario is gonna work either <laughs> yeah but marco gets dragged away to uh join to his show. place among the stars of television yeah so he, yep. he's taken to the stage and, and then, oh one thing that i wanted to point out was uh this this floor director who starts giving them the least realistic directions concerning uh from somebody who's you know worked at an actual tv station this this part in particular you tell them your little story 
If Barry does this with his hands, that means speed up. If he does this with his hand, it means wrap it up because we're done. Got it? Good. Nothing to worry about. And then he walks off. But um, very rarely would the talent ever be giving time cues to hosts. No, he's saying that Barry would be giving time cues to the to the uh, guests. Yeah, oh, that's what I meant. Very rarely would the host be giving time cues to the guests, unless it was well, something like they just got cut off. Well, no, you could, I could see, um, I could see in a situation like this where it's a Regis Philbin and uh, Kathy Lee type <laughs> Which show. Brings me to my next point. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> in a show like that, I can see uh, the showrunners, just like the late, uh, the Late Show and the Tonight Show and all those. I can see them being so important and integral to how the show plays and the pacing of it and everything that they kind of in a megalomaniac style would want to control everything down to controlling how long the guests are talking. Yes, and that works in a in a you know fiction in a in a book. I'm just saying working at a real TV station for 3 years it was never we were never telling people like oh the the host will be Telling you to rap and, and well, yeah, but you've never you worked with, but you you worked for the news. I mean, that's a completely different scenario. You've never worked for a celebrity. I'm saying, yeah, no, I know, but you've never worked where the celebrity's name is why people watch the show. You know, Jay Leno. That's people watch the show because of Jay Leno. He has complete dictation over. I everything. know this character is uh, supposed to be a parody of of uh, Regis Regis Philbin, and. Um, this guy's actual behavior is like the exact opposite of Regis Philbin, who's just one of the nicest guys, and also never has any idea what's going on on his own shows. <laughs> I, I I worked for an ABC affiliate, so every day on break, I'd watch Regis uh, live with Regis and Kathy Lee, or right, live with Regis and Kelly later on. Well, I think there's so many shows like that. This couldn't. This isn't necessarily based just on them. It could be tons of these co-host style. Uh, daytime shows yeah and i'm sure you know they just wanted to parody the the title and make it kind of like regis and kathy lee but yep they obviously weren't meaning to parody the characters and say that they're mean people anyway <laughs> uh besides the unrealistic uh directions from the uh, uh the assistant director floor director. Uh, floor director thank first. you technical director whatever in the back yeah um, <laughs> anyway so besides that, uh, this at just like as I mentioned earlier, with it being a movie and TV show cliche for the pregnant woman to start giving birth at the most inopportune time, uh, Rachel starts the burping, the getting rid of the crocodile DNA that is shoved up inside her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> way, to, way to describe that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what starts happening, of course. And I will say, at least it happened before she went out on stage, instead of the cliche where she's sitting there on the couch, cameras pointed at her, and then she starts to mourn. Oh, 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 the burping! Oh, no! <laughs> I'm burping! Uh, but yeah, so the croc, uh, <laughs> the croc's instincts kind of kick in while she's still human, and she starts biting everyone around her. <laughs> and she's like wagging her butt like she's trying to hit him with her tail. They start running away and Rachel starts to morph Grizzly while Cassie goes to squirrel morph, I guess just because she can't get out. Well, no, they, they they go into the bathroom. They run yeah. into the bathroom because they need to, you know, obviously get away from everybody first. And the crocodile is like this huge cancerous lump that's grown out of her back. 
And at the same time, yeah, she's morphing Grizzly because she can't control it. Um, and then Rach or, or Cassie's just cowering in the on the toilet seat, I imagine. Like, oh god, this is gonna be so bad. With a full grown grizzly bear and a crocodile, what's she gonna do? Kind of like the lawyer from Jurassic Park uh, when the T Rex breaks out. Yeah, yeah, similar to Gennaro, where she's just sitting there in the toilet seat, like trembling. I could imagine it it would look pretty cool. Oh Jesus! uh, Oh Jesus! Faithful adaptation. Yeah. Of a show. Um, Yeah, and and Cassie, of course, is like, "Well, I guess I'll go squirrel," which was really smart. She could have went squirrel or like fly or maybe roach would have been good here. Yeah, just something to get away instead of I mean, they have they have nothing that's gonna fight this thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And um, oddly enough, even though she goes squirrel, which is a perfect morph for getting away, she does try and fight it. She like yep. jumps on the croc and tries to blind it, and uh, is somewhat successful, I guess. <laughs> it it all bleeds out. They break through walls. They're fighting in the hallway, and it, it ends backstage, and everyone is freaking out. They're interrupting the show. They're getting right out onto the main stage. Um, this crocodile grizzly fight, and Marco joins in as Llama uh, to try to fight the crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. It's yeah. like uh, he's like Cusco, and, and they Cusco. interrupt the show right before uh, JJM can uh, start plugging away at the sharing and spread yeah, the gospel. Right before he even says the word sharing. Conveniently, <laughs> yeah. A nice touch, I guess. Um, there's a there's a thing on page one forty two here where all this chaos is happening. I want to read you this part and see if uh, you can decode it here. Barry was yelling ridiculous directions in total panic. Get a stapler! Get a stapler! I think that's <laughs> what he was saying. Anyway, I was a little distracted. Do you think that um, possibly he was saying some kind of swear here and? That's just the way they chose to represent it, you know? Oh, that's true. Mishearing thing. Yeah. But I was trying to think what swear sounds like get a stapler. Hmm. Mother. Maybe. Uh, Same syllables. I don't know. I don't know if it was. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense now I think about it. I didn't think about that while I was reading it, though. Get a stapler. Get a stapler. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. (laughs) It matches out. It matches out. Yep. Join join the sharing. Join the sharing. (laughs) Uh. Yeah. So um, we've got, you know... This this is another interesting kind of climactic scene, too, because once again, it's like there's not really an, an alien big bad here because that happened earlier. Now it's like real Earth nature is once again the center focus. I, I love it when they do that, when the when the enemies of the book kind of turned out to be our planet. Oh, yeah. And Situations it's just, like uh, that. It's just these are animals that shouldn't be in a populated area and and it's dangerous and now we get to see that in action but it's also a very wacky battle situation um at least until axe kills the (laughs) crocodile brutally where did that come from man axe Uh, suddenly has the power to be able to kill a freaking 20 foot crocodile no i don't i don't think that's sudden he just hasn't been in a room with one yet uh i think i think he's the deadliest creature in the room and we see that he he steps up you know, Jonathan, stupid, Jeremy, Jason, Geronimo, <laughs> Nicole is about to die. He's about to get killed uh, from this crocodile. And Axe just runs up and just a quick snip. I assume it's just like his tail goes up over the head, into the brain and out. 
I think it says he, he like jumps on its back and I think it's like with three hits from his tail blade is is what kills him. Yeah, it's still awesome. Axe X takes him out immediately. Yeah, Axe is badass. Yep. He's bad axe. Ha <laughs> anyway, uh so, so they save him and um the show is disrupted, and they all run to the bathroom real quick to demorph and get out of there. Oh, and Axe points out, um, the Yurk escaped again, because they're always going to do that, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, Cassie morphed Rachel <laughs> again. Yeah, She said she was going to do it earlier, just in case, but now she's just hanging out in Rachel form. Oh, it interrupted me again. I was going to say that even though the, the Yurk escaped, Rachel does step on it as they're leaving. Oh, yeah, that's true. Not accidentally in chat oh yeah and then yeah everyone's demorphing and kind of it's chaotic for a little bit and rachel finally gets out of the bathroom again and uh sees herself standing over there talking to the media once again and i thought this was actually kind of creepy <laughs> that it wasn't really necessary i i think rachel you know would have been out there to talk to him again at any point i mean it didn't really matter that she'd get out there to talk to him immediately well, we've already seen that Casey, or Casey, Cassie has kind of a weird, creepy nature to her. She <laughs> has, uh, she, <laughs> she has Axe, Morphine, Jake to hang out with her, uh, her and her family and have dinner. And the, and now, and now she's morphing Rachel. I don't know. Maybe she's, maybe she's just very envious of the people around her. And I she also wants find things. it funny that, um. Out of all of the Animorphs, the first one to break their, like, silent credo not to morph humans is Cassie, the, the animal enthusiast. And here's what, man, if we could have, if we could open up the Animorphs universe um, as the Star Wars universe and other, you know, big franchises have opened up to, like, side books and different authors and stuff, um... This is the kind of thing they could go into with being an animorph and being a human who can morph. Uh, I'd love to have a book where a Cassie-like character is, you know, oh, she's the best morpher. And everybody looks up to her as far as morphine. And she's almost addicted to morphine. And she's like, I'm going to try out a human just to, just to feel what it, see what it feels like. You know, <laughs> even though it's this big taboo. And she, you know, what? six books ago was crying about morphing dolphins yeah yeah exactly she's supposed to be the voice of reason and like speaking oh, for the she's animals out of control and, and she's everything a, she's a drug addict and <laughs> uh and morphing her friends and forcing them to morph is her drug it's only a matter of time until she's acquiring and morphing jake in her bedroom the president <laughs> of the united states wait i think they do that at one point. <laughs> that's random um she's yeah out of control <laughs> And then um, after that lovely little scene where, where there are two Rachels talking, uh, I guess it's kind of funny that Cassie does point out, your, your, your brain keeps making me want to do dumb things. <laughs> okay, sorry. I got I to gotta sidestep us for a second. No. How good of a plot of a book would it have been if it had been, um, if they had been, you know, going along or whatever, and they caught Cassie morphing into one of them, and it was revealed that through supportive handshakes or hugs or all these other things, she had acquired all the other Animorphs for some reason. And it was like just a big book of dealing with Cassie and what's going on with her. Yeah, oh, man. that would be an awesome book. And this is kind of the ending of the book here. Um, it's everybody hanging out at, uh, in Rachel's swanky hotel room watching uh, 
news, the, the news report from the previous day, uh, which announces that famed actor Jeremy Jason McCollman has quit showbiz and is uh, moving to Uzbekistan. Hmm. And they end on a very nice Xena reference. Yeah, they change the channel and they settle on watching Xena. So that's pretty it, awesome. It wraps up quite nicely. And I love this last scene. You know, some of these ending scenes where they're kind of like uh, epiloguing the book, uh, usually a lot of times don't work very well. They're kind of the lower point of the ending. But this one, them all just hanging out on, I assume, the bed, you know, just chilling and watching TV. Such a teenagery 90s TV show kind of thing to do. I, I love it. Yeah. Even Tobias is there because they open the window. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think they forget to wind- open the window and he's just like <laughs> hanging out outside flapping? Or he doesn't he doesn't want to bother them because he doesn't want to seem like the pathetic well, uh, yeah, like, knothlet. I don't need so, them to open the window for me. So he's he just does. watching them out from outside just wistfully. That would be awesome. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that that does it for book twelve, the reaction. That's and all. I think by now you've you've our dear listeners, I think you've gathered that although we were not looking forward to this book, we actually both really enjoyed it. Although, well, why, why don't you go ahead and go into your book or go into your review? Yeah, I'll go into my book <laughs> right now. We, um, so very simply. Uh, obviously, we we both really enjoyed the book. It does so much good things. I mean, there's excellent, excellent dialogue, tons of great jokes, all the interactions between the cast and the supporting cast is, is all great. Um, there's there's running jokes abound with Cassie correcting anyone who calls the uh, the the crocodile an alligator, and that that pops up. We've even get we even get the old running jokes of like the Prince Jake or even the Xeno Warrior Princess stuff like that. Um, it just feels like the epitome of familiarity in an Animorphs book. Really, it, it, it's got everything I remember from the series in it, and um, the book actually made me feel excited to read the book where Rachel has to be the leader for once. I know there's a book later on where uh, Jake's gotta leave town for family business and, and they have to elect a new leader of the Animorphs and it, it gets thrust upon Rachel. And what this book does is set her up to be such a ticking time bomb, to excuse the cliche, because she's already doing dishonest things like morphing in public, lying to her friends just to be able to go on a mission. And Jake is starting to realize that, holy crap, Rachel's going to be the wild card. She's going to be super dependable, but she's at the same time going to just run amok if I don't really rein her in. And he's got to figure out how to be a good leader. Um, And that's what this book feels like it's setting up. And there are just so many 90s pop culture references, it blows my mind. It's, It's awesome. The only things that I can really say that it did, that I didn't care for, was like that one scene with uh, Chapman kind of felt tacked on there like they needed a little extra content so they're like well what other kind of situation can she get into oh how about at school with chapman sure um and then all the uh the the foreshadowing i thought was a little unnecessary too like damn just let the plot unfold let let us be surprised Mm -hmm. um but those are minor tiny complaints um not even complaints really they're just things that i i noticed that i felt bad about because i i 
figured I gotta say something bad about this. Um, other than the fact that it doesn't really lend anything to the overall plotline of the story, um, I'm okay with it. Because this is, like I said, the epitome of what good, like, filler, quote-unquote, Animorphs books should be. If they're not advancing the plot, I expect this amount of quality. It's funny, and it's fun to read, and it makes me want to dive immediately into the next book. So, um, initially, after I finished the book, I was going to give it a three. Because I thought, well, you know, I enjoyed it, but it didn't really add to the series. And I thought that was fair. But as I was going back over it and doing my notes and rethinking about it and, and really remembering all the good laughs I had throughout it, I thought, you know what? This is a strong four. This is this is what Animorphs filler books should strive to be. Um, so, yeah, this this one's going to get a good old four out of five. Uh, Hereth Illnitz. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So... <laughs> it's really funny that you say that because here's what I'm going to say about this. So I agree with a lot of what you said somewhat. And as I was reading this book, I was having such a great time. The dialogue is so funny and so well-written. And I just, my expectations were so lowered going into this book that I think that even helped me enjoy it uh, even more than I would normally. But you have to give it up to this book that it is some of the clever or some of the most clever and interesting dialogue to date. And just, again, really, really, really funny. And you, you heard how many times we read something on this uh, particular podcast. And that was for a reason. This is this is great, well-written dialogue. Now, the opposite of you, when I came off this book, I was so jazzed from the dialogue and, and having such a good time. I was like, wow, I'm surprised. This is a straight four out of five. Straight four out of five, easy. Uh, but now, after doing my notes and talking about it for the last, you know, hour and 30 minutes, um, you know, I've, I've really cooled on it. I, I really don't like the plot as much. Um, it just, it wasn't as interesting to talk about. It doesn't add anything to the series. Um, it wasn't as cool of a concept as we've dealt with in other books that weren't part of the main mythology of the Animorphs crew. And, um, yeah, I was just really cooled on it and, and, I, while I'd love to read it again because it's a funny, great book with great scenes and it does add some more science to the morphine ability and all of that, um, I don't think it's as, as good as I initially thought it was. I think thinking about it and talking about it has actually lowered my score. So where I was going to give it a 4 out of 5, I think now I'm just going to give it a 3 out of 5 uh, copies of Teen Beat. So You Benedict Arnold. <laughs> we had discussed this earlier. We were both giving it 4. And I, at that point, I was going to give it a four, but I honestly, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't as interested in retalking about this book. And that's the highest bar I can set for a book. If I want to sit here and talk about the concepts and awesome, um, you know, things and plot lines that a book adds to uh, just being a part of the Animorphs uh, story, not not the main mythology, but just being a part of the collection of books calling themselves Animorphs. Um, if I want to talk about them again and really dive into everything about them. Uh, that's what makes them hold up. That would make some good books. This one doesn't really have that as much. And it's not a two by any means because it's a extremely well-written book and it is interesting and a good read. I just, um, you know, I, I don't think it's worthy of uh, giving it high praise uh, oh, or okay. as high praise as I was going to give it. Even though it added uh, more more science for the morphing technology. Just a little bit. You get a and it's, for again, time. it's worth reading. You should not skip over this book. 
Um, it's just not really. You should read it, have a good laugh, and you know, go right into the. Well, change. yeah, that's that's what it is. It's a feel-good animorph book where you can read it just expecting kind of light laughter. And that's not good enough for a four in my book. So <laughs> it is for me because when I think about the animorph series as a whole, I don't think of it as oh, it's it's you know about a war and it's super gritty and super serious and super sad. I like thinking of, oh yeah, there were times where it was just really fun and entertaining and, most importantly, funny. And yeah, I will admit that the whole allergic reaction to an animal morph is, is kind of a, a silly sci-fi concept for, for this book, but we're going to get so many that are even sillier than this. This is actually something that kind of makes sense still. I don't, again, that's why I gave it a three. A three is a good score. It's just good. It doesn't mean in my book, three is good. I enjoyed it. Four you're not, you're is not, great. You're not reviewing these books with your heart. I am. You're I am reviewing them with your. Head you gotta have somebody on this show giving an actual critique and and technical, you know, review. And this, is, I'm this saying, book changed my mind. Whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I'm saying a three is good. A four is great and important. A five is iconic and classic. That's my that's my review scores. So and a two is just kind of boring and average. Uh, a one is not a very good book. All right, fine, fair enough. Um, I've got one Reddit comment that I uh, want to read. I've got emails. Yeah, yeah. So let's. Uh, this this Reddit comment's particularly long, which is awesome. Thank you, Craven Ergeist, our number one fan. Besides, perhaps. Heather Haskell. Craven Ergeist says, I don't remember liking this book very much as a kid. He's talking about um, the last one. The Forgotten. But then I was a kid and I was reading books for escapism and fun and seeing the world through the point of view of the leader of the Animorphs was probably a lot less appealing to 10-year-old me than it would have been to 27-year-old me. So I'll have to read this book again. I just remember a lot of Jake books being very depressing and this was definitely one of them. Yeah, but it was very good. Do read it again. Hmm. As far as Andalite stairs and ramps are concerned, oh, good lord, I'm going to skip this part. Yeah, because we've already discussed that way too much. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, he goes on to say, I'm actually really looking forward to the next book review because of just how silly the concept is. I didn't quite get the whole pop idol aspect of Jeremy Jason McCole. God, I can't believe I remember that name. Yeah, Ewan Pullman <laughs> character as a kid, although now I look back and find it hilarious. But the part with the crocodile also introduces a fairly, fairly interesting concept in morphing. When you morph, are you in essence creating a clone of that animal and inhabiting its brain? Because when Rachel expels the crocodile morph, she essentially, essentially produces a full-grown healthy crocodile genetically identical to the one she acquired. Ruling out the question of whether Rachel was just allergic to that particular crocodile, or to all members of the crocodile species, this brings up an interesting conundrum about morphing, which this book also provides an example of morphing other humans. Supposing morphing was commonplace, suppose every human on Earth could morph. Suppose acquiring and morphing other humans was just as common or any other sentient race like the Andalites. What happens if someone develops an allergic reaction to a sentient being, human or otherwise, and has to expel that person? Did they just create a clone of that person? Would it have their memories, their personality? Casey do or Cassie does report that when morphing Rachel, she did experience some of her more aggressive tendencies. This may also tie into another Rachel book, oddly enough, where she morphs a starfish and gets split in half. That's another one. Can I, I answer this? Yet, and Can I, I answer I, this I question? Read that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so here's how it works. Here's how I think the book series has done a great job of 
uh, keeping up with, especially when morphing or doing anything with humans and, and more intelligent creatures. Um, so while Cassie does get some of her aggressive tendencies, or maybe she's just saying that, uh, that would go to a genetic level uh, to the instincts of a human being. You know, instinctually, we have this genetic line and to help us survive and continue on. So memories, I don't know if our fan base knows how memories are created, but they're literally tying neurons to other neurons in your brain. You're creating a new strand of nerves that uh, is a memory. And the more you use that memory or the more you access it, the stronger that muscle gets. And so it's like you're creating all these muscles in your brain. So a clone of a person or a brand new person uh, expelled in this way would have none of that. They would just have the genetic level instincts of that human being. But they wouldn't have memories or anything because those memories would start creating, those neurons connections would start forming the second that being came into existence. So you'd be basically dealing with a full-grown person who's acting like a child or a baby. Um, <laughs> So that that's what you would have when you did that. So, so science class with Coleman. Yeah. So that's how that would work. It's all genetics. All that's why they have instincts of alligators and all of that stuff, because um, unlike humans, most animals, uh, they use instincts to keep them going and to build their lives around Uh, while they have memories and stuff, too. Those aren't as important and they're not as large part of their brains as it is in the human race. Well, that's interesting. Thank you for the uh, Reddit comment there, Cravenergeist. Yep. So I've got a few emails real quick, and I'm going to go through them in order. Do it to it. So our first one is from Heather Haskett. And hey, you two, just wanted to verify that Jake does indeed have an Almorph prior to number 11, The Forgotten. In The Secret, dun dun dun, Jake is even the one who suggested to morph out during the night mission with the termites. And you can also see Marco, Axe, and Rachel's reactions to the night vision, pages 70 through 73. So yeah, glad to help, Heather. So yeah, Heather has done a great job of basically just keeping us in check um, in general with things we get wrong or or things that we might have glossed over. So thank you very much for that, Heather. Well, I was going to say that... uh... What I was trying to recall was actually from a trivia section of a book that is still to come. So um, I don't know if it's the next book or the... I don't know if it's 13 or 14, but um, we'll get to it. We'll read the trivia eventually that sorts out this whole owl morph fiasco. Also, Heather... Something's not right with it. I'm going to put it out there. You made another comment, I think, on our Facebook um, saying that... I don't know if you're saying we made a mistake or or whatnot, and saying that uh, what Jake experienced in The Forgotten is an alternate timeline. I wholeheartedly disagree with you. It's not, I don't think that was a mistake on our part. Um, I will drop a nerd bomb. I will fight you for three days straight with no sleep about uh, how time travel could actually work in the real world and the physics of it. And I don't believe in alternate timelines. I think that is uh, wrong and not how time travel would work. So I watch through the wormhole. One timeline, one past, one future. If 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 they one go heart. back in time one and soul. change something, if they go back in time and change something, that's something that has already happened if we're here in the future. Period. Dot. Done. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't okay. I don't I don't agree with him, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> you, you rarely he got do. offended by that, but I was like, yo, maybe you're just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, I said, and then I replied, well, man, you're dumb. And then we fought it like that back and forth for three hours. What's, um, what's the next email? Next email is from Dylan Stone. Oh, hey guys. Dylan. I, I like Dylan. Yeah, Dylan's cool. Hey, guys. It's me, Dylan Stone, the 13-year-old who gave you the email that you read in your review of The Secret. Yeah, Here are yeah. a few interesting things I wanted to say about the past books you reviewed. The reason why the character Eric King was named Eric King was because back when the message was being published, Classic had a contest to get your name in the Anorse book. A kid named Eric King won. We we referenced that. Thank you for bringing it up again. But yes, we, we did correct ourselves once we figured that out. Way to be helpful. Though. But yeah, so very helpful. Uh, I got my friend into reading Anamorphs books. When he finished the Android, he was wondering how the Chi uh, got the Permalite's essence into wolves. We came to the conclusion that the Chi forced the Permalite to have sex with wolves. <laughs> <laughs> didn't we hint at that or, or something we you, did you but dylan stone and his friend man they just sit around talking about this i guess well and um if i recall correctly they're 13 so. oh yeah so that's what that's what i was doing when I was 13 <laughs> so according to dylan yeah Shit, we we do that still <laughs> <laughs> so so according to dylan that they landed on earth with these sickly dying pebbleites and then the chief forced the Near dead Pimelites oh, oh. to in- Yeah, I get the comedy of the situation. <laughs> they're, no. they're all like leperish and falling apart. Hey, no, there's on, some wolves over there. It's Bring the them over. Uh, Dylan, I think it's safe to assume that the thought speak um, is fully behind and supportive of your ideals and your ideas. What? So <laughs> I was going to say uh, uh, the owners and operators of thoughtspeak.com. Thoughtspeakcast.com. Do not condone animal interracial <laughs> extramarital affairs. Oh, yeah. Or as or as clerks too would say, interspecies erotica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh no, no, we fully support you. Um <laughs> his last part is uh when writing the forgotten, Kay Applegate said that she ran out of ideas for the books and was ready to end the animorphs. I'm glad she didn't end animorphs. Thank you for reading my previous email on the show, and thank you if you read this on the show, too. Thank Whoa! you, Dylan. Thank you for sending another email that has spurned conversation and laughter, and just keep it coming. Dylan, my boy! <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. We, we love to hear from everyone who chimes in. And I've got one more very important email from, I think, a first-time uh, listener. What? At least, at least someone... Uh, First time they've emailed through. So so here we go. This is from uh, someone who doesn't wish to use their real name. They go under the handle of Cheese Repair. It's narrative casualty. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. I'm really enjoying going through these books again and appreciate you guys making all these episodes and putting them out for the fans. The, anu- uh, the animal silhouette texture graphics you make with each episode are super neat. Thank you, Cheese Repair. And you can see those on our website, thoughtspeakcast.com. So, however, I feel the bumpers, the little musical cues in between segments are a little long. In many of the podcasts I listen to, the bumpers are only 10 to 20 seconds at most, while the opening bit of your episodes are a whole minute and a half long, and the one between the introduction and the summary is another minute on top of that. It's like Game of Thrones on HBO. The intro is neat and all, and also quite long, but you've already seen it a dozen times before and want to get to the actual content, you know? Especially if you're watching a bunch of episodes in a row. I do also feel you've been overly harsh on Cassie so far, though I like that you addressed it in episode 11. I had an English professor once say, when critiquing a read, 
when critiquing to read a work on its own terms and to focus on whether it was successful in doing what it wanted to accomplish rather than if it was good. In Book 9, I feel it was trying to begin to grow from the idealistic nature lives in peace belief Cassie seems to have, have, seems to have at the beginning of the series to a more realistic nature is cold and bloody mindset. Her being the healer and the voice of comfort in how a character like that would react to a war that, if I remember correctly, had grisly Rachel clubbing a horkbajir with her own severed arm in a particular grim fight at one point. That is to say, I think it is more of a character development story than a plot advancement story. And on that front, I'd say it was successful. Being one of the last This Is Why We Fight books. But don't toss me out yet. To try to escape your wrath, I come bringing gifts. A gift. While listening to your podcast, I remembered... I had gone onto the Scholastic Animorphs website before it became the bare bones shell it is now and downloaded a program they had, which they called the Anabase. It's a little database of information about the books. It lists the new morphs and aliens and so on in each book, as well as little did you know facts behind them. I thought you guys might find it useful. The download link to my Dropbox is at the end if you're interested. Oh uh, my God. Which I've already downloaded and I've put it in our Dropbox, by the way. Um, so you can check that out, Mitch. I just dropped in my box. <laughs> from excitement i also have a question for you guys if is there a mission in particular that you would like you would have liked to see happen in the books either by the animorphs or the yurks assuming all the books you've read are all the ones that exist best wishes cheese repair yep. so do you have an answer for that question uh what was it? Uh, a is mission? there a mission in particular that you would have liked to see happen in the books, either by the Animorphs or the Yerks? Um, I don't. Yeah, probably a lot of things. Like, well, we've we've constantly said we want to see that book, you know, of different things. Um, right. As, as I, far as making up something on the spot, goes, I I have um, one. I have one. I think it would have been interesting to, and it would have solved a lot of um, uh, con- or plot holes within the series. Is if we had seen an entire book without any of the animorphs, and it was the Yurks or possibly Visitor Three himself going to another city to try to do something outside of the safety of the uh, Andalite bandits, like try to okay, well we're ha- we're being less and less successful with things in in the main city that we're trying to grow from. Let's let's go over here to like Chicago or uh, to some small. You know, like a town. foreign country, like Europe or something. Yeah, so, I would like to see him try to go there and fail miserably. Like, it just is terrible. It doesn't work. He tries to start out like Visor 1 did and in the Visor and everything, and it just goes terribly wrong. And so he goes back to where they've already got a base um, and they've already got everything set up. So I think that would be great and would solve a lot of potholes where everybody's like, why don't they just go to another part of the Earth? <laughs> he learns a very valuable lesson about himself. That he's not capable of starting an invasion, just possibly finishing one. You know what? I guess I did think of something um, to point out. Uh, I guess I would have liked to see more um, just stuff happening with the auxiliary Animorphs later on in the series. They don't come in until, like, book, I think it's like 49 or 50. I've never even read the book where they come in. I've only yeah, read where and... they're being sacrificed terribly. I think the, uh, the 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 situation there with the auxiliary animorphs was really interesting and one that they could have done a lot more with um, if they had worked it in maybe ten books sooner. Just um, in general, them growing their ranks and becoming more of a militia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I would have liked to see them expand their numbers, not necessarily earlier on, just closer than they I got want to Melissa the animorph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we want Melissa the Animorph. We want 
Eric the Cheese, who officially joined the group. We want Axe to be included. In oh my gosh, Eric animals. joins the Animorphs, and he's like a Transformer. He tra- he transforms into beast modes, and <laughs> runs around as like a as a robot cheetah and stuff. Yes, that would be awesome. That would oh, be awesome. Be also, our, we're gonna get to like book fifty four. And we're still going to be having emails about the secret. <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody cares to mention like whenever we point out, oh, you know, and Cassie did the right thing here, and she was really smart, and boy, you know, she showed great bravery here. Nobody's going to point that out. Everyone's just like, you hate her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, no, we're it's, I, there's no way we can get past like 19 and not get across to people that we like what she turns into. Yeah, definitely. They 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 do give her one of the more interesting character arcs later on. I think it's safe to say when all the uh, shite with uh, Jake goes down with her and Jake at the end of the series, that Cassie, for a decent amount of time, is the most interesting character in the entire series. So, yeah. Ooh. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, cheese repair. <laughs> Anyway, so I would also like to give props to Cheese Repair because um, him mentioning oh, yeah, the yeah, bumpers. <laughs> yeah, so he, he him pointing out the bumpers and the segues and the opening of the show. While I'm very yeah. proud of those things, uh, Cut they were down. always quit, quit stealing the show. They were always uh, placeholders. You know, I, I didn't figure out anything better to do yet, and I wanted us to move on and do something more original. But that's all I could come up with. That's that's what I had. But you have inspired me, sir. I can honestly say that Cheese Repair, you have changed the show because you inspired an idea that I feel is really original and will really blow up the fan base and they'll think it's really cool. So but here, now we hate you. <laughs> so here in the next few weeks, I would say, you know, give us time. I've got to really, uh, I've basically got to hire a voice actress. But um, give me a little time to put this together. And I can promise that we will have new segments to the show. We will have very, very original bumpers and segues uh, that tie into the hardcore Animorphs fan base. So give me time, but that's coming. Possibly it's, shortly after the end of like Chronicles or something. It's, it's like we've still got the training wheels on the show. We, we just haven't taken them off just yet. Yeah, but I, th- I feel like I got a great idea. And it's, uh, it's definitely for the fans of Animorphs, not just for us. Um, so okay. yeah. <laughs> so yeah keep a lookout for that it's coming soon um tell your friends bring them on i i don't even know i i'm almost tempted to go back and once we have this thing done to put it on the beginning of the uh, older episodes but i want to keep them as is so it's kind of an archive for where we came from so oh yeah yeah don't do that don't change history you're gonna be like <laughs> the people that that went back and edited the adventures of huckleberry finn Ugh. what really that happened yeah dude they took out all the n-words in huckleberry finn Oh, yeah, that's true. That's terrible. I mean, that's, you know. If Quentin Tarantino were making a Huckleberry Finn, he would have added more inwards. <laughs> and cast Jamie Foxx. <laughs> As Huck. Um, <laughs> anyway. so With him playing the role of Tom Sawyer. So, I really do thank you, Cheese Repair. You have inspired uh, what I hope to be greatness in the show for the future. So, thank you. He's lying to make you feel better. He's been talking about this for months. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it really did come from this email. It, I mean, I've been talking about doing new segues and stuff for months, but the idea that I came up with is because of this email. So, Oh, good. Good to know that apparently listener emails actually have an effect on the show. 
They really do. Maybe it's we almost can as get if some more. It's almost as if if you or other fans were to chime in, you could change our show for the better or worse. Or just have us make fun of you. <laughs> so, okay, I think that's enough time. Uh, we've, again, made it into the two-hour time limit. <laughs> we yeah, would be yeah. stuck in so many morphs oh, yeah, because of this episode. We go over the two-hour time limit all the time. All the time. Um, so, thanks for listening. You can find more ways to listen to the show by going to thoughtspeakcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at MorphCast or like us on Facebook. Send us your thoughts on an upcoming episode by emailing us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com. And we will read it on the air, as you've just heard. Finally, reviews on iTunes are so important. Please review us us on iTunes. Give us those reviews. We did get a couple more, and they were great reviews, and we're so happy. Um, The more you give, the bigger the show will get. It will explode. And it, the only people who can do it are you. That's it. We can't go and give us reviews ourselves. We can't just get our friends to review the show. So far, we've only had like one friend review the show. So it's you listeners who so far have uh, kept our score great. It's 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 looking good so far. I just want more of them. And uh, that's up to you guys. So thanks yeah. again, though. And uh, we appreciate you chiming in and tuning in. And uh, great to hear from you. Can't look forward. And we're looking forward so much to the next book. The Change. This is when the book series changes. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, number 13, The Change. Biggest spoiler ever in the title of the book. <laughs> and the front cover. And the yeah. back of the cover. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, I, I can't wait to talk about it, though. This is, whereas the last two books we've talked about, they've been good, we've been enjoying them, but they're filler books. Next book, mythology book. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so. going to be good times, basically. I'm super pumped for the next two books. Yeah, Andalite Chronicles right after that. Uh-huh. Yeah, boy. Oh, yeah. So is that yeah. going to be the uh, the end of what uh, I would deem season two of Animorphs? I don't know. I like going by uh, Megamorphs <clears throat> as the end of season. I, I think the change would actually make a good season two finale going into uh, the in-between season special of the Andalite Chronicles. I don't know. I haven't read it in a while. Maybe we could think of it more <clears throat> as a... Uh, um, a mid-season finale? Yeah, like a Christmas <laughs> special. <laughs> Christmas, The Andalite Chronicles is a Christmas special in between seasons. Like Dude, a, that, same that is... A, okay, uh, let's go back to the guy's email. That is a, a book or a mission I would like to see. Somebody needs to do an Animorphs Christmas where the whole team has to acquire and morph Santa's reindeer team to, to lead <laughs> Santa to... You know, get around the world and, and defeat the Yerk's latest plot. Oh and my gosh! I think I think X should have to morph Santa Claus, just because of how hilarious Jake, that one would be. But Jake, the Yerk's plan is to stop Christmas. <laughs> we gotta go That's to the North Pole, stat. And there's they're they're you know morphing penguins and uh, just to get to the North Pole. Then they're morphing elves and reindeer and oh. Megamorphs number five. The Animorphs save Santa. <laughs> and Visor 3's heart grew three times that day. <laughs> Visor 3 could turn into a Grinch-like creature. No, I'd much rather see a more realistic Halloween um, Animorphs book where they're all um, morphed as Hork-Bajir and various aliens and they're at a oh, Halloween party you know and what? no one can I would, tell. I would like to see a plot where, um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's Halloween, but they do more, like, remember when uh, in the capture, Jake, like, 
half morphed a wolf just enough to like change his voice, but he yeah. mentions that his face bulges out a little bit and he looks pretty ugly. They could do like half morphs, like with Fly and uh, you know, Grizzly and like uh like the cover of um the the first Megamorphs. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah, more yeah. more of those half morphs on a on a Halloween themed mission. I think that would be kind of interesting. Because that's that something be you don't funny. really go into other than like, oh no, we're trapped in morph and it's hard to, to demorph in time. I think we can all agree, holiday-themed Animorphs books would have been the greatest thing ever. I want the I want the book where they meet the Easter Bunny and have to morph him. <laughs> He's real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Animorphs celebrate Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> On a very special episode of Animorphs next week. Uh, uh, Anyway, okay. Well, so, on that note... <laughs> yeah, we're done. This is it. End of the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we will see you next week. Join us for the change, suckers! <laughs>